0: Hello and welcome to the Construction Corner Podcast, I'm Dylan, I'm your host, and on today's episode, we have a special guest. Tommy Lindstroth is the founder and CEO of Green Badger. His career spanned both the private, academic, and nonprofit sectors across the U.S., and currently founder and CEO of Green Badger, a green construction software automation firm. And prior to launching Green Badger, Tommy was Director of Sustainability for Malaver, Inc. And I probably butchered that, but that's all right, Tommy, you can correct me. And uh, Principal of Trident Sustainability Group, and he's been involved in over 100 lead projects. And this is going to be just a great conversation on sustainability. So welcome to the Construction Corner Podcast, Tommy.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And You did pretty good with those pronunciations. <laughs> So, I really want to
0: start kind of at the beginning, and what interested you in sustainability?
1: So, it first uh, really piqued my attention years, years ago, back when I was a, an undergraduate up in the University of Wisconsin, and it was uh, I kept driving back and forth between college and where I grew up, which is a city called Racine, which is just south of Milwaukee, and we grew up sort of in the suburbs, and it was. Surrounded by woods and farm fields, and it seemed every time I came back from college, it was just more and more, you know, sub, uh, suburban sprawl and subdivisions coming up, and all these natural areas that I played in as a kid were just uh, were just going away. And so I was uh, a junior at the time, and it was like, man, you know, I, I'm focusing on business as my as my undergraduate degree, but I was like, man, this environmental thing is really piquing my interest. So at the time, I didn't want to, you know, do a complete 180 in my, in my college career. So I ended up picking up environmental science as a minor uh, and graduated and was working in business and uh, was working for about a year, year and a half. And was really like, man, my passion is really in, in, in sustainability uh, and in environmental sciences. So then I said, all right, well, to do it, to do it properly, I need to go get some more education. So I was like, all right, back to school I go. And so I ended up moving from Wisconsin down to Charleston, South Carolina, where I went to college of Charleston and pursued a master's uh, in environmental sciences for uh, focusing on carbon emissions, carbon policy, and addressing it from the local level. So it start, started academically, uh, went through again higher ed, and then worked with some nonprofits. But uh, ended up in the in the built environment and got into green con- green design, green construction, green property management, and it it went from there.
0: Awesome, and. I mean, personally, I've noticed a big shift in the last, oh, probably five, 10 years in, you know, uh, going towards more sustainable environments, more sustainable materials, and really kind of the <clears throat> proliferation, if, if you will, of lead uh, throughout the built environment. And kind of what do you think has been the the big trigger? And why do you believe that uh, there's been that bigger shift towards sustainability in, in recent years?
1: Sure. Yeah. So broad, broad question. Um, I, I mean, it's definitely been growing as it's, as it's coming up in awareness. You know, In the, in the nineties, you didn't hear as much of it. And I think as, you know, as we've just progressed as a society, it's just become something that's uh, become more uh, impactful at a personal level. And certainly I don't think there's, you know, So anyone in the country today that you know, can't see some impact of it. So I think there was just a, a broader sense of availability of that information, which which helped drive it and push it in the forefront. Um, certainly would be the move away from just being uh, a tree hugger, which I am and, and was, but where it was, hey, you know, this is just you got to do this because it's the right thing to do. I think that over these last 20 years, uh, that message has really been. Pushed from environmentalism to sustainability and so it's incorporating the other components the social aspect and um, you know the business aspect of it and so now you know you have companies brands organizations they're realizing that you know doing the right thing being green is not just doing the right thing but it's profitable and it's an economic driver behind it and that really you know once once or once organizations realize that that not only can i do good but i can use this to make even more money or differentiate my project product, you know, that certainly gives it gives it a life of its own. And I think that's a lot of where you saw lead really come to the forefront is, you know, they laid out a US Green Building Council laid out a great foundation to say, okay, well what what is a green building and how do we define it? Because, you know, without standards, it's it's tough to measure. And then being able to talk to and help everyone understand that again, it's it's the right thing to do, but your building can potentially uh, have increased rent, they can potentially sell for more your occupants are happier and more productive, but if you're in a greener building your your business can be doing better and it really helps again drive home that there's a lot of positive impacts that result from sustainability, whether it's in you know process processes or the built environment uh, and that just helps you know move the move the needle forward or put the foot on the foot on the pedal to accelerate that adoption.
0: yeah, I completely agree, I think that. Oh, years ago when uh, like Walmart would announce that they've saved so much cardboard in their packaging. And then you kind of extrapolate those numbers across what that means for them in a dollar value. You can see uh, why they would, (coughs) would do that. Right. (laughs) They'd they'd save millions of dollars just in cardboard and packaging their pallets um, annually that, that it made total sense to, to do that. And I think that's, that's hitting the nail square on the head where, maybe in the and i wasn't around for this i'm not not old enough but in the, the 70s to be a, a tree hugger there really wasn't any money in it and now uh with lead and everything else there's there's been a lot more money that's been brought into the system which is great for everybody
1: yeah frankly i mean i don't care why they're doing it right because the outcome's <laughs> the same it's like if, if they can figure out how to save money and reduce their environmental impact great like that's how they should be doing it i don't need them to justify it with any other way i mean they can say hey, we're, you know, Walmart can say, hey, we're doing this to save the cardboard, but they're doing it for the bottom line. But the environmental impact is still the same. They're cutting out all of that cardboard. Or you know, when you see the, op- the logistics optimizations of UPSs and FedExs and switching to electric vehicles. I mean, yeah, that's having a huge, profound environmental impact, but it's also streamlining operations, eliminating the need for you know, paying for gas and price fluctuations. So it's a very, very smart business decision and it just happens that the outcome is also very positive for the environment. And, you know, the companies that are figuring that out, I think, are going to continue to see a lot of success in it. And it's, again, what we need uh, as a society to help make sure that we're, we're continuing to push these objectives forward.
0: Yeah, and I, it seems to me, too, that part of this is the purpose behind it, you know. And so I'm, a, you know, 30, and with that, you know, the kind of environmental piece has been in the forefront of kind of my generation's mind and with that it creates a purpose behind what we're doing not just great for for business impacts but also for you know why we're doing it and I think both of those uh, when combined are are super powerful and I think that's what we're seeing here um, you know kind of over the last decade or so.
1: Exactly. I mean, from a business, it's a competitive advantage, not just as a, as a product or as an offering, but as, as attracting talent. I mean, t- uh, getting talent, you know, outside of the current uh, coronavirus situation with mass unemployment, you know, up we've had extremely low unemployment and it's been, uh, people can pick and choose where they want to work and they want to work for a company that mirrors the beliefs the that they have and that they can feel good about going to every day. So again, sustainability just is one more, one more asset that that company has. Uh, again, whether it's their processes, their cost savings, or, or talent, there's just there's just so many benefits of it. You would, you know, you're kind of silly to not being not, not incorporating it more more robustly.
0: Yeah, and with that, you know, in the on the construction side of things, LEED's been a, a big piece of this, and having that founding body, that governing body, the set of principles and design guides that everyone kind of adheres to for saying that they have a green building. And on the the design side and even on the uh, construction side, paperwork is is huge in this. And what's kind of, just in LEED certification of a building, what's the impact of having a building certified versus maybe designed to a LEED standard, whether that's silver or gold? you know, and having the paperwork in place, kind of what what ends up being that benefit? Because there's a lot of work that goes into certifying a building, and putting that, that lead plaque on the wall. Um, what's kind of that that benefit that you see of going through the whole lead process?
1: Sure, and, I, and I've been on both sides, and I you know I could make the argument uh, both ways. And I mean, certainly that's why I launched Green Badger is to make that paperwork process as easy as possible. Nobody likes paperwork. It's like saying, do you want to go file your tax returns every week? No, nobody wants to do that. You want a quick and easy way to do that. But does the IRS need some mechanism to make sure you're, you know, we're not all just claiming that they owe us a refund of a million dollars. It's like, yes, of course it'd be, it'd be stupid to think otherwise. And I see it the same way as with lead, right? It's, it's, without that verification, I mean, you need to have some rigor to it. Could it be much more streamlined? Yes. I mean, a hundred percent there, they make things overly complicated and I don't know why, but Hey, it keeps me in business. Um, but you need, you need that there for verification. I and mean, you're talking about, you know, hundred million dollar building. You, you got to be able to put forth the effort to, to demonstrate compliance. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. I mean, it's, I, cause I've been through too many of these and it's as soon as, as soon as they took that requirement off, as soon as an owner said, you know what, Lead certifiable is fine. The green stuff just gets ignored or it gets cut. And I'm not going to say, you know, obviously that doesn't happen in every single case, but I've seen it happen in too many cases where it's, okay, well, we got to cut costs, VE. Okay, let's start cutting some of those green stuff. Do we really need rainwater harvesting? Do we really need porous pavement? Nah, we don't, we don't need any of that. Even to the point where it's, do we even need to recycle on this project? No, doesn't, doesn't matter. We're not going for a certification. I've seen projects and it's, I look at their specs, and they they would, and again, this was a couple of years ago when it was less common. But they didn't put low flow toilets in. And I was like, "Why did you not have low flow toilets in?" They're like, "Well, it's not a lead project." I was like, "Man, so just because it's not a lead project, again, these toilets don't cost any more. It's it's a flush valve. They just opted to go to the old code compliant standard rather than using one that just uses 20% less water. So it was, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it too often where it's just, all right, well." Lead certifiable is fine, and on paper you can say it is because no one's ever ever going to check. There's very few uh, places uh, outside of like some municipalities where they're going to say, "Okay, you're saying it's lead compliant. We believe you because you know I'm just a I'm, I'm that's your job. I'm paying you to do that, but I'm not the expert to go back and be able to double check it as the owner or the owners' up or whoever it is. You're telling me it is. I, I believe you because you're a professional, but you just start seeing the green features get deprioritized if not ignored completely rather than, hey, I'm contractually obligated to deliver a building that earns a certain threshold of certification, there's a significantly higher likelihood that that stuff's not coming off the table because it's it's been prioritized by going for a certification. And it will help ensure the longer-term integrity of whatever environmental claims you're going for.
0: Yeah, I'll agree with that. And I think, too, you know, when you look at the operational costs of that building it's going to go down if it's going to be lead certified and you follow through with everything else and that's the biggest thing um most owners in my experience you know they're they're there to manage the project and they want want a building at the end of the day they don't necessarily know all the the parts and pieces that go into it and that's that's not their job that's what you know architects and engineers get hired for and uh contractors get hired to to build it and that's and yep Yeah, so that the, by being held accountable and held to that standard, you know, all those things are going to get put in there, they're going to get kept. um, And there's a reason behind it. And I've, I've had similar experiences too, where it was uh, not going to get certified or not going to get checked, then people defaulted to some old standards.
1: And one of the biggest ones I see, I mean, lead requires you to commission your building. Uh, and I, never, I rarely, outside of federal projects or military projects, rarely see any of the commissioning agents I talk to. They're, they're not commissioning a building if it's not getting LEED certified. They may not have even heard of what commissioning is. And if, it's, if you're not going for lead, that's a really easy dollar cost to cut out because it comes at the end of the project and it's just like, yeah, we don't need to do that now. But it's, if I'm an owner, you know, commissioning gives you that peace of mind that somebody who is not on the contractor side, they're independent, they are there to do nothing except ensure the interest of the owner, that the building that they designed, they had paid good money to have designed, to have built, is actually going to operate as it should. I mean, it's like you wouldn't buy a car if they didn't start up all the systems and check them out and, and verify it before you got into it. Yet, we're willing to take a 10 million, $20 million building and just take the keys and assume everything is going to be right, or take their word for it that everything's right. Not to say that anyone's trying to do anything, um, you know, not, not legit, but it's like you look at a commissioning punch list, and it's just stuffs all over the place. I mean, the hot water is going to the cold water. Uh, they set a 10-ton air conditioning unit where they were supposed to set a five-ton, and they got them mixed up. I mean, all sorts of things that just wouldn't get caught before you take ownership of this building that you're probably going to have you know, a, a long time. And I, I, for one, would certainly want to have that fine tuned before I accepted that and let these guys off of the hook. And, you know, lead, lead makes you do that. If anything else about the whole system, you know, commission your buildings should be the the lesson here.
0: Yeah. And I think too, that engineers are sometimes less likely to to make that recommendation since there's sometimes a, Um, conflict or fight between the commissioning agent and the engineer record so with that um, even if engineers recommended that you know there be commissioning on the project that's going to be just it's going to help everybody in the long term and even going back into buildings I've seen so many engineers uh, recommend like a retro commissioning to walk through a building because their systems just aren't operating properly so even from a kind of legal standpoint for the long-term that's going to be beneficial for everybody involved.
1: Exactly. Again, back to your car, you take your car in to get it tuned up to get the oil changed. You maintain the heck out of it preemptively, right? Preventative maintenance and you can do the same and you should do the same for your buildings for, for your pocketbook, as well as for, for everybody who's inside those buildings.
0: Absolutely. And that, It really leads me to uh, another piece in with lead. We've seen so many more product guides come out. Some uh, paint is one that comes to mind in particular with like low VOCs and kind of what's the evolution of products that you've seen hit the market because of really the proliferation of lead and, and how much better those products have become and kind of the guides that go along with them.
1: Sure, and I, I can't tell to talk to the quality of the product, but you know, it's about, a lot of it's about transparency. So, I mean, the old version of LEED was, was pretty straightforward. You loo- use low VOC paints, uh, to every, easy, easy to find that information. Everybody, every single product, they have to have a material safety data sheet and it's always on there like that. Life was easy then on a the material side, you were just trying to buy something manufactured in your region that had recycled content. All really easy things to get your hands on and verify. Uh, when they launched version four in 2016 is when it launched. I mean, adoption didn't really pick up to a couple of years later. They really elevated the bar and it wasn't even necessarily for that version saying these products are better than their compatriots, but it's they published information. So now you need environmental product declarations, health product declarations. Those declarations are not saying my product is green or good in any way. It's simply saying Here's, the, here's what it's made out of, here's the life cycle impact of this product. You know, It still takes somebody to be able to decipher that and then do their own compare and contrast between is this product better than that product. You know, Before you couldn't tell because that information wasn't publicly available, you couldn't get your hands on it. And frankly, most of the people hadn't done those assessments. Um, so LEED has not still gotten, in my opinion, they still haven't gotten to the point where they said, you're using the optimized products They're saying here, at least the information is available, but that did transform the market. I mean, there were zero products that had an environmental product declaration, you know, four years ago, and now there's thousands of them out there. So it took uh, took that becoming the standard and it shifted the amount of information that was available. Now, the challenge is, you know, you've got to pay for all of that testing. It's not cheap. There's only four organizations in the U.S. that do it. They've got kind of a stranglehold onto it and they control what goes into it. And if you're a small regional fabricator or something, are you going to pay and do that? No. So are you now at a disadvantage when you're competing against the nationals that might do that? Yes. And it's, you know, that's, that's where I see some of the risks come in. It's, a lot of this is you've got to pay to play. Is it going to get us better stuff in the end? We'd like to hope so. But you know, if I don't have the resources as a small company, I can't afford to get an environmental, a third-party environmental assessment done and spend tens of thousands of dollars on it for every single product in my product line. Can Armstrong, yeah, they can afford to do that. It costs the exact same to them, except they're 100 times larger than you. So, uh, you know, there's definitely some pros and the cons of of that, but the intent was, how do we transform the marketplace to start asking these questions? And I would guess the next iteration of lead version 5.0 is gonna say, well, you need to not just use products that have declarations and have this information available, but you need to do some diligence on Choosing the ones that actually are more impactful, uh, of course, all I was doing is transferring the burden back to the the owners who now have to pay architects to become you know chemical scientists and trying to cipher down at a one hundred parts per billion you know what does a product have into it um, so again it's still it, it, it's stuff I and mean, because it's putting the onus on design teams or manufacturers to help figure out what that is, but in the end, is that going to be a positive thing you know most likely. More information is always better. Help us make more educated decisions of what we're putting into our buildings.
0: Yeah and it the easiest comparison that I kind of think of is like UL for a lot of equipment right where they've got to get tested and be you know UL listed and there's only like two labs that can do that for most equipment and you know it's kind of the same same way where it costs you know tens of thousands of dollars to, to get that testing. But once you have your UL stamp of approval, you know, you're, you're good to go.
1: Funny enough it, UL is the, the biggest producer of EPD environmental product declarations in the U S as well. So they've got their fingers on that. And it lasts five years, but again, some of these other ones only last a year or two years. So every year you're paying to have your products retested and re verified. And again, that's probably a good thing. I'm, I'm not a chemical, Scientist to know enough, you know, in the manufacturing process, is my paint really different this year than it was last year that I've got to go back and get it retested? No idea on how on the the value that provides, um, but that's sort of the lay of the land. And again, that's where we come in. Uh, we're just trying to make this as easy as possible. What we have found is that people don't they want to do the right thing. They just don't want to spend hundreds of hours trying to figure it out. If you tell them go use this paint, you'll get your lead points. So They'll say fine. I will unless this is like Ten times as much as the next paint. Uh, you know, don't just tell me what to do, and we'll do it. Like we don't want to have to be out here spending hundreds of hours of research. And that's where we see a lot of fighting <laughs> between the design community and the uh, construction community. Under the old version of LEED, it was really easy to have a more general spec and say, you know, use steel with recycled content. And now their specs are because people are still just learning about this stuff. They're saying, well, use all these products that have environmental product declarations. And by far and away, mo- most products in the construction world do not like it's a it's a minority of products that actually have that type of information and so now go to the contractor and they're supposed to be going to their supply chain and their subcontractors and saying where's this information is it available nobody knows now everyone's yelling at each other because that information is out there and frankly it's probably for a product that no manufacturer makes one with an environmental product declaration so instead it's just hey use these products that do have them meet your threshold, meet your requirements, and let's get on with our life. So you could definitely do a little bit better on the, on the design side, specifying those products um, to help make that make life a little bit easier. I mean, if you tell the contractor, use drywall A, B, or C, and they'll, they, they're the ones with the environmental product declarations, they will use drywall A, B, or C. Like, don't make them figure out where to go and find Where these products exist. And that's why we started just coming out with our own guidance and saying, all right, guys, we're not going to get to this. I don't care who you use or what you use. Here's where you look. Don't look everywhere. Look, focus your efforts. You'll be able to find all of your information. Uh, You'll be able to, here's the products that actually do have uh, environmental product declarations, health product declarations. Let's focus our efforts so we can really focus on spending our time getting our buildings built safely, healthily, on time, and on budget, not going and slogging through reams of paperwork because that's just not productive use of people's time.
0: Yeah, we definitely want to make things simple, easy to understand. And it's, uh, I mean, as you mentioned, it's, you know, where that onus lies, you know, if it's in the spec or you do supply chain and who, uh, who needs to figure that out. So, I mean, I'm glad that, that you're looking to help solve <laughs> solve that and make it easy for kind of everybody within the process um, since, architects aren't always savvy to the supply chain and contractors aren't uh, necessarily always up on the the latest requirements, you know, until it's in a project and a spec and they've, (laughs) they get hammered for uh, not having something.
1: Right. And again, the architects, you know, you got the big ones, the big national ones, they've got, they've got people who are out there looking and doing this, but I mean, by far and away, you've got a heck of a lot more small local architecture firms and they don't have the luxury of having a person who's you know dedicated to researching sustainable products and it's maybe they got a lunch and learn on it maybe they didn't you know it's tough um, so we all got to work if, if we want this industry to transform we, you know, we got to work collectively and collaboratively to try and make that uh, those with the resources and the knowledge you know help put that out there so that but so that all ships rise in the waters
0: yeah absolutely and with that i mean technology seems to be kind of the the crux if you will holding everything together or enabling the shift um, in different directions whether that's you know agglomerating all this data and being able to sort and determine you know can you can you have three equal manufacturers on a given product or you know are you end up sole sourcing something which depending if you're doing a government project or not that might be tough to do so Kind of from from where you're looking, how important really is technology today? And especially, I mean, right now we're in the midst of of Corona, and obviously we're doing this uh, via Zoom. But uh, like, how important is technology kind of moving forward?
1: Uh, it's hugely important. You know, I don't think you'd find anybody who who says it isn't. I mean, it, you know, when you look at going from uh, from doing blueprints by hand to doing them by computer, now that was transformed into full 3D BIM modeling. I mean, the more sophistication, uh, once you get through the learning curve, just, you know, ends up, it's now everybody's doing BIM models and it's, it's like an afterthought if you're not, because the benefit is just so, so huge and it allows you to, to design and construct and manage these processes so much more. You know, we fall into the constructability side of things and it was everyone used to do scheduling through, uh, through spreadsheets. And then they moved into probably you know, Microsoft Project. And now they're up in the Procores and all these other tools that are out there because it just enables them to do so much more in so much less time, as well as help provide the transparency and accountability that you know, project teams are looking for. So you know, when you look at sourcing products, being able to instantly have uh, compare and contrast products based on their sustainability attributes, because you're able to just see, okay, well, this one helps me here, here, and here. This one only helps me here. If they're both in the spec, well, I should pick this one. I mean, it just it it, it takes the need to sit there and analyze these things by hand. Um, it makes that makes that go away. And then the being able to validate, track, record all this stuff you need again specific to lead. It's like if you're not doing it through technology, you've got a really nasty Excel spreadsheet that you're filling out and logging by hand, and you know again. Uh, now that we're in uh, the the situation we're in, would you rather stare at a dashboard that your whole team can see exactly where you're standing, how you're tracking, or would you rather send out updates that people have to go and open up ten different spreadsheets to see how you're doing and hope that somebody didn't screw something up? Um, so, you know, by far and away, whether it's on the design side, whether it's on the construction side, uh, you know, technology is helping us design those, build, design and construct these buildings uh, better, faster, uh, and with a lot more flexibility i'd say than than not
0: yeah i mean that's so like my core business is automating electrical design so that's it's taken bim that that next step to where you know we're laying out a full dd set in in really minutes um and moving into other disciplines and not just electrical you know low voltage mechanical um, and we see the industry kind of moving to where everything that you're saying, you know, from hand drafting to to BIM where we are today, from scheduling to, you know, now in Procore and everything's automated on those sides to, you know, what you're talking about and agglomerating all the data for lead and tracking where you are. And yeah, I mean, nobody wants to open up six different emails, you know, if they have a simple, hey, here's a link and an update, you know, and they can see it pretty quickly, it, it really helps everybody you know, move forward. And I think that's, and really for the industry, technology is just a huge, huge piece of it. And with that, you know, we're seeing more sustainability, more technology. Um, how do you see that shifting the, the construction industry as a whole? You know, obviously we'll be able to deliver a little faster, but as, as an industry, you know, where do you How do you see this change in what we're we're doing?
1: That's that's a good question. And I mean, to me, it's the most exciting question because as a industry vertical, construction has historically had the lowest investment and adoption of technology. Uh, You know, you've got a lot of of people that were set in their ways and don't wanna try something new. So it's, you know, what's gonna happen when you have all this extra time? And it's, you know, it's interesting even now, it's like, I hate to hate the situation with coronavirus, but I think a lot of people are finding out, well, man, I've got a lot. Now that I'm not stuck in a meeting talking about this stuff or I'm not stuck in a commute, I'm able to actually get maybe a little bit more done. I have less wasted time. And I I think technology uh, is, is mimicking that. And so it's how can we apply ourselves outside of what we used to spend a lot of time doing to get more things done. Now, is that gonna enable me as a project manager to make the steel, structural steel get installed, you know, faster? No, but, you know, there's going to be uh, technology on the, on the installation side. I mean, you've got robots laying bricks or stacking bricks. Now you've got 3d printing of components, you know, all of those things are going into the faster turnaround, whether it's on the production side and being able to get your, get your uh, plans out and shop drawings back and reviewed and approved quicker. I mean, I think it's just going to, in the end, we'll just, help condense the the construction process um, to shorten the uh, overall schedule, which allows you to turn over those buildings to get onto your next project quicker. And ideally you'd see it increase uh, the safety of your job sites as well. I think you have a lot more accountability of who's doing what on your job sites, which is probably always a good thing. Uh, And you know, what I've seen in terms of mapping your buildings, I mean you can literally turn over an entire virtual building. You've got the, not only the, the BIM file for it, but you can now document, uh, you know, the entire construction inside the building. You know, you can now have pictures of what's behind the walls and it's just, you know, you're literally turning over a a, a virtual reality uh, component of your building at the end of the project. So I think there's a, I think this particular industry has a lot of room to grow and it's going to see you know, a lot of upside to it in terms of enhancing productivity, enhancing the, Uh, the long-term value of these buildings.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. That's really where I see it going. And I don't know how many people I've talked to about, you know, oh, this is great. I don't have a, you know, hour and a half sitting in the car every day now because I don't have to go anywhere. And, you know, whether that obviously probably at this point, being four or five weeks into this and they're staying home, you know, they might be, be tired of their spouse or kids or, whatever at this point, um, and they're (laughs) ready to go back to work. But I think after this, you'll see more of a a split, uh, schedule, whether that's two or three days, you know, in the office or at home. And, you know, I I also see it changing how, how people go to work in the office spaces and understanding that they have more time and whether that's, that's always been the question, you know, if you're saving all this time, what are you going to do with it? And I see a few things in, spend more time with clients or like on the design side and even on the uh, construction side, people are just getting burned out. You know, how many people leave the construction industry, um, turnovers usually 10 to 12% a year. Um, so you, you start looking at just attrition out of the industry from super long hours or the highs and lows, so to be able to to even those out, I think would be hugely beneficial just to the the longevity of someone within the industry and to know that they have a have a career and it's going to be there for a while is the other the other thing I I try to think about for the industry. I don't know what your your thoughts on those pieces are.
1: No, I think I think that's spot on. I remember one of our early early pitches. We were sitting with a contractor and letting them know about Green Badger and why they should use it. We're like, we're going to save your guys you know, 60% of the time, they're, you know, they're going to save hundreds of hours a year that you can have them doing other things. And mean, was like, they literally said, what do I care? You know, I'll work them until they bleed from their eyes. If they need to work 80 hours this week, they'll do it. I was like, oh crap, that's a terrible mentality to have. So, you know, it, it, hopefully technology can help, as you just said, help that shift. Um, you know, I can't tell, I can't tell you the last architect I talked to who said, yeah, the client said we can have, you know, as much time on these designs as we want. It's, I need this building open by this date. So you need to deliver my CDs here, my DDT here and all that. and It's like it's never a luxury of time. And so if we can figure out on both sides how to how to get more time and how to use it for a better, you know, work-life balance or as you said contract uh, customer relationships, anything that is is helping uh, reduce the the fatigue of, of burnouts, uh, and keep people you know mentally help- mentally healthier and happier, uh, which I think as we come out of this, you know we're seeing seeing something it was five years of five years of progress what would have taken five years to enact change is now happening in five, is going to happen in five months, and you know hopefully we come out of this with with some of those best practices that we've acquired over these past uh eight weeks of of confinement and can use that to be have that have have a little bit more of that balance.
0: Yeah, and it, it goes to the culture of it. You know, I think at least from talking to a lot of the the veterans of the industry and a lot of the gray-haired architects that, you know, staying in the office late was, you know, a badge of honor. It meant you got more done, especially when drawings were done by hand. The only way to do them was to work longer hours. You didn't have, there was no tool or really better way to do it. You just had to stay in the office longer. Um, and I think the same was for construction. You know, you, you got more done if you worked more hours and not set the robot and hit go for, for a lot of these things or used a better tool to do the job. So I think that's part of the, the shift, too, is as we, as the workforce changes and the generation change um, up in the leadership, we'll, we'll see more of the use of, of newer technologies and newer tools to to do things. so with with the changes that we're seeing in construction this adoption of technology what are some of the things that you might be or that you wish you knew getting into the construction business um kind of one of those some of the big lessons learned that you've had along the way
1: lessons learned there's always a there's always a host of those i mean my my bigger lessons learned are you know i sort of stumbled into the technology side. I have not, don't have a technology background and I would have done you know, better, better due diligence myself when, when forming a technology company. I mean, really, Green Badger came out, I was doing consulting, I was working on dozens of projects and I was tracking them all by hand. And I was like, God, this is, this is idiotic. Uh, and I'd show up at job sites and you know, the contractors would have the wrong paint and it wouldn't be league compliant. And I was like, my God, there's gotta be a way to make my life easier make their life easier. And so, you know, started working on a technology solution at first. it was just like, look, I just want them to be able to scan a can of paint and it'll tell if it's lead compliant or not. And so I got that. We, we built that. And then it was like, okay, if we can do that, we can really manage everything on the construction side of, of green building. And so it was really just backing my way into, into a solution rather than taking a comprehensive approach. You know, I, I doing it over, it would have been taking a step back before really rushing into this and, making sure I had everything uh, architected correctly. You know, I started off with uh, wanting a, wanting a tiny house and ended up needing to design a 20 a story condo building. And I did it by, uh, you know, it would have been better knowing I needed to design that 20 story condo building. But at the time it was simply going to be a tool for, for my consulting business rather than becoming the business, which it is today. So uh, maybe, maybe dipping my, my toe in before diving in head first would have been a, been a, a way to think about it, uh, you know. Five years ago, six years ago, when we first started going this direction. Yeah, I
0: think. I mean, I I started mine in the in a similar vein where it was the biggest pain point that I had, which, you know, pushed me to to do the automation tools. So sometimes it's our <laughs> our biggest pains that create the solutions. Um, I mean, what else do you see in the construction industry that that needs to improve we talk a little bit about mindset but what other pieces that you see through construction that that you wish maybe more people would know at the the start of getting into it
1: um I mean specific to us you know what we one of the challenge the big challenges we see is just the overall level of knowledge I mean there's you know we're we're focused on a specific niche of green construction and it's you know it's not treated equally as safety. You could ask anybody on the job site, you know, what do I need to do from a safety standpoint? And it's ingrained in their head. Nobody's out there without a hard hat. Nobody's out there without uh, a safety harness or a vest. You know, some of those things are just embedded into the organization's cultural DNA. Uh, sustainability is not one of them. And, you know, it's a growing, it's a, it's, as we talked about when we started this conversation, I mean, it's a gro- it's of growing importance and it's seeing more and more, uh, requirements and adoption of it, but I don't necessarily see the institutional level of support putting it on par with safety or some of the other you know, com- corporate-wide initiatives. And that would be uh, obviously I'm biased because I'm a sustainability guy, but uh, you know, giving it that equal treatment, not not oh god, a lead project. Well, how did I get stuck on this thing? But you know, actually saying oh, all right, well this is just another another day at the office. I don't have to worry about ramping up and trying to figure out everything that's going on with whatever this, you know, green building rating system is and what these goals are. So, you know, a a challenge would be just getting that fundamental level of support out there. And it's tough. I mean, you need safety on every single project. Not every single project is, is lead or has sustainability goals in it, but there's enough of them that do that. It would be great to have that as a more institutional approach with these companies to help make sure everybody's got that, uh, knowledge that that they can they can come out and and support those project initiatives yeah
0: what do you think might be the the change for it i mean i'm seeing more and more institutions do it even developers are going lead they're not thinking just first cost they're thinking life cycle cost more and more Um, what other kind of pieces do you think would help drive drive that change to think kind of sustainability first
1: well, I think there's two approaches to it. One is, again, being proactive. Like, would I want to be known as the greenest contractor in, in the world? Yes. You know, and how would I do that? Well, anybody in my project team, when I go to a job interview, would be able to answer the, the questions about how we incorporate sustainability into our operations, into our job sites, into our construction. Would that give me a competitive advantage as I'm going out and I talk to developers who value this? Would they look at this as part of their big criteria? By, far and away they would. I mean, every single project that requires lead has a component that you talk about it and everybody brings out their, their lead guy or girl and says, yeah, we've done lead. Uh, and what happens is it gets down to the job site level and the people at the job don't and they don't have a clue what they're doing. Um, so I think it would give them a competitive advantage to proactively go out and make the case to incorporate sustainability like you do safety because I think it will, I, I firmly believe it would translate into more work being one for them. Um, The other side is that it is required. You see more developers driving it. So, uh, you know, if you win that work, if you haven't differentiated yourself and then you get that work, you need to be able to respond and respond successfully to those project requirements, whether it's LEED, whether it's CalGreen. I mean, anything in the state of California has a green requirement to it. Anything in DC, in Seattle, in Boston, in New York, in all these huge major metro areas already have these requirements. So if you're playing in any of those markets, your teams have to be equipped to be able to navigate that that added level uh, of responsibility. So you can either proactively do it because it, you, you can see that it'll hopefully help win you more work as a competitive differentiator, or you need to be ready on the back end because it will be a requirement uh, and a growing requirement on projects moving forward. I mean, you already have the city of New York. Now you've got to you know benchmark your building energy consumption and carbon consumption and start reducing carbon. Uh, Levels of your of your existing building stock for the entire city of New York I mean if you don't think those types of things are going to be rippling out uh, Across the country or certainly in other major metro areas, you know, I think you're I think you're you're mistaken And so again, you can proactively be ready for that Uh, And worst case hey, maybe I'm wrong Maybe I'm an idiot, but your teams are smarter and better prepared like the downside of prepping for this is is zero uh, because you will have some lead work and worst case your teams are over prepared and they're all, you know, lead ninjas with it. But I don't think I'm wrong uh, in, in that regard.
0: Yeah. Even if it's not lead, it's going to be, you know, comcheck requirements are going to be more stringent. Um, all the energy guides are going to be more stringent. ASHRAE is going to get more and more stringent. Um, we know that's coming. You know, ASHRAE's goal is 2030 net zero. So, I mean, it's coming one way or another now, whether some states adopt it, obviously california, new york uh, you know Florida, Maryland are going to be on the forefront of that Washington um, you know, and then there's going to be other states that that just don't adopt uh, quickly at all, uh, but those are going to be in the far far minority of states that don't adopt you know the newest energy codes or uh, requirements. So it's coming, you know, even at the, the other governing boards like ASHRAE, you know, they're, they're totally planning for it. <laughs> and it's, it's coming down the pipe. So it's, I agree, it's coming. Now the level of documentation is obviously going to change, but you're going to have to um, adopt how you do things to meet these new energy guides.
1: For sure. Again, even if it's not a full out, you know, certification, this it, empower your teams on the design and construction side of things to understand the rigmarole and the ever changing requirements, um, because better to be over-prepared than under-prepared in any of these regards.
0: Yeah. Cause that's what I've seen is code is really getting closer and closer to, to lead in a lot of regards, obviously, you know, when lead updates um, you know, then they advance, far and above code, um, which is, it's great to see when that happens. And when, you know, EV 5 comes out, that's going to be another big uh, shift for the industry. Now, Tommy, we've, we've covered a, a ton of ground. What do you wish I would have asked you that I haven't already?
1: Ah, good question. I should have, uh Thought about that as we were going through because we we've covered a ton. I mean, I think it's uh, you know the, the question of where's the green market going. I mean, I think you know a lot of people would argue they're seeing less lead requirements out there. Um, you know, I think it's to me that's just a perception thing because it's become so common, right? It's like it used to be unique. It used to be like, oh man, there's one lead project in all the city. Uh, and Now it is so common that it, that people think sometimes that it's going away. You whether it's LEED, whether it's WELL, whether it's any of these other rating systems, Green Globes, CalGreen. Um, I think the uh, the market is moving in that direction, uh, and it's going to be a broader requirement. It constantly evolves. Teams just need to be to be prepared and ready for it, and to try and stay on top of it. Uh, as we talked about at the beginning, it, it is it is a necessary evil. I do firmly believe that projects that have some sort of requirement on for a certification will in the end perform better, be healthier than buildings that uh, are paying lip service to it. So I think you know, the framework of the certification provides a lot of value. I think we all need to continue to just work to make that process, the process easy, not the threshold, not the requirements. Those don't, those need to be held high. Uh, if you're earning a platinum certification, your building better be pretty darn good, but you don't have to make it walking through fire To be able to prove that's what you did we can continue to work to try and streamline that process as an industry because again the reason when i talk to developers and people they hate lead and don't want to do it is because of the perception of the headache and the time that's required and it currently is a big headache and requires a lot of time and effort and it's like would i rather pay somebody to do all that or would i rather use that money and put solar panels in my building you you could get into quite the argument about where those dollars are better served, uh, all things being equal. And so, how do we how do we uh, make how do we encourage more people to green up their buildings? It's by having a high standard, but by making the process easy. Don't make them guess. Don't make them jump through hoops. Don't make them uh, track you know ten file folders full of paperwork behind that they've got to have alphabetically organized and put in the Dewey Decimal System. Like that is just, it's overkill. There's, there's better ways to do it. And that's what I'm spending, uh, I spend every working, waking hour or working day doing. And um, again, I support the, the value the certifications have. I think the market will continue to grow, but we, we can, there's a lot of room for improvement to the process. And by doing that, it's gonna just continue to increase the, uh, the desire of people to wanna utilize these rating systems.
0: I agree. And Tommy, before we kind of wrap up here, where can they find you? What's the best place to go to find more about you and more about Green Badger?
1: Sure. Everything they can find. We're extremely transparent. All pricings up there, product demos, literally everything you can get from our website, which is www.getgreenbadger.com. That's G-E-T greenbadger.com. And then you can find us on all of the usual social platforms should you care for our witty, witty, uh, tone of voice.
0: <laughs> always like a little wit and a little humor. Uh, not the necessarily always stodgy that you get on, uh, on LinkedIn. Now to, to wrap up, I mean, guys, we've covered a ton of ground here today. Tommy's been a wealth of knowledge. We talked, you know, the evolution of lead that it's becoming more prevalent, not the, the one per city. How important commissioning is, and this is regardless of whether you do lead or not, just get your building commission. That's going to be a big part of it. And usually that falls by the wayside if you're not doing lead. The improvements that we've seen in technology is going to really help us get our time back. And if you're listening to this during the, the corona uh, epidemic, then you know kind of what you're going through, or if you're hearing stories about it, uh, listening to this years later, you might uh, remember what it was like to actually get your time back and to save those costs, and that's really the the point of using technologies to better utilize your time, not doing these kind of tedious tasks, not making the process a big pain. Uh, lead is super beneficial for the the environment you're building, your business, and having a simple and easy to use process will make lead much more valuable to you and your clients. And with that, that is this episode of the Construction Corner Podcast. Thank you for listening and until next time.